tries to give them the truth of the gospel. And so this morning, will you give him a hand as he comes and gives us the word? Thank you, Pastor. Well, God bless everybody this morning. I sure appreciate Pastor Jeff having me here. Appreciate the church having me here as well. First time I've been in North Dakota, so first for me. But uh, I'm, I'm a, I am a U.S. missionary, and I, I do work among the major Christian cults in the U.S. I kind of zero in on Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and I do, I, I do work among other groups as well, but these would be the two groups that I deal the most because these are the ones who actually come to your door. Uh, these are, I think, the only two in the entire world that this is what they do. This is how they get most of their converts, is a knock on the door. It doesn't matter if you're in China or if you're in Africa or Latin America or Europe. This is how they get their converts, is they come to you. These are the only two churches in the world that, that do this type of work that, that go to your door. So that's why I think I concentrate a lot on these two groups, but also because I used to be a Jehovah Witness myself. I was a Jehovah's for 12 years. I, uh, I think I was about 10 or 11 when I became Jehovah's Witness and, and uh, was very dedicated Jehovah's Witness. I worked for the Jehovah's Witness headquarters for eight years. I worked in Brooklyn, New York, and I worked for a magazine called The Watchtower, which is a, a bi-monthly magazine they produce until back in 1995, became a Christian and started doing this, this work. I I'm originally lived uh, from uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, South Texas, but uh, I live in Kansas City now. I'm married and I have uh, three, three kids, and uh, so I, uh, they were planning to come with me today, but uh, I didn't realize this, Pastor Jeff, when I booked this, uh, today's my daughter's birthday. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I didn't want to miss it. But that's the first time I've ever missed a birthday. <laughs> but uh, I didn't realize I had, uh, you know, got it on this date. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, wait a minute. Looked at my calendar and said, this is my daughter's birthday. But uh, so my wife stayed back. They're going to celebrate it. And we'll, we'll celebrate it with them on Monday when I get back home. So, But <clears throat> I've been doing this uh, work since about 2000. Uh, reaching out to Jehovah Witness, to Mormons, and groups like that. Uh, how many here have been visited by a Jehovah Witness before or a Mormon? <clears throat> Most of you have, and if you haven't, you will. You know, this is this is how what they do, how they work. You know, these two groups, they're growing tremendously in the U.S. This is where this is their major growth here in the U.S. for Mormons and for Jehovah's Witnesses. But they're growing all over the world. They're growing, especially in Latin America, growing, growing there a lot, uh, especially Jehovah Witnesses and Mormonism. In fact, uh, the second country where there's more Mormons is Mexico. They're, they're outside the U.S. They, 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 they're growing leaps and bounds in Mexico. Uh, so they, they're growing uh, pretty much everywhere. Uh, you know, these groups there... They're extremely, uh, extremely effective, and I think it's because of the missionary programs. They have a very strong missionary program. Mormons have like over 90,000 missionaries. So could you imagine just the, the, the you know, the, the uh, Provo, Utah, their uh, missionary training center, they, they bring in 500 missionaries a week for, tra for training. And so it's just so effective that uh, I think it's, a, it's like a $500 million uh, uh, 
yearly uh, effort for missionaries, but it generates 380,000 converts a year. They're missionaries. So they're just very effective. You know, just to give you a perspective, the Assemblies of God, missionaries here in the U.S., we're about maybe 4,000, maybe 4,000. So it gives you perspective. The, the Mormons are close to 17 to 18 million members worldwide. So 7 million here in the U.S. Uh, the Assemblies of God, we, we're about 2 million here in the U.S., uh, members, so it gives you kind of an idea how how big they're they're, they're growing, and they're because of their effective missionary program. The Jehovah Witnesses are a little different, you know. Jehovah Witnesses they believe that every Jehovah Witness is a missionary, so every Jehovah Witness is a minister of the gospel. So you come on, millions of them out there going door to door, and and uh, so much so that they construct uh, 50 churches a week worldwide. And they call them kingdom halls. They're, they're, they're churches, they're buildings, church houses, 50 a week in the world. So that's, you know, Mormons, Mormons are the second wealthiest church in the world. The Roman Catholic Church would be number one, but the, the Mormon Church would be number two. Not too far from the wealth of the Roman Catholic Church. So, they, you know, they, they generate $8 million a day by their tithing system alone. Does it include their businesses and things like that? So they're very effective in what they what they do. So this is this is a big missionary, pro, a, a, a big organization that they have a lot of converts. They have a lot of people who, uh, well, all of them they 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 don't have the gospel. They have a different gospel, a different message, a different even a different Jesus. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. So these groups are, and that's kind of the work that I do. I I do my work in. Probably three different ways. Uh, the first way is that I go to churches and I do presentations, seminars on what do Mormons believe, Jehovah Witnesses believe, what to say when they come like it's something like what I'll do t tonight here at the church. Uh, the second way is that I, uh, that I uh, meet with Jehovah Witness members, Mormon members and families and try to share with them in the form of a Bible study. I have five Bible studies going on per week in the Kansas City area and surrounding areas, and I meet with people that, that, uh, that have questions, that maybe have issues with their churches and they don't know what to do. So I meet with these groups. Uh, I have, at least I meet with one group every day. So basically, uh, I do that work, and I also do uh, uh, debates in universities with Mormon apologists, Jehovah's Witness representatives, but I think my main work is to the local churches because I feel this is where the need is the most. Because uh, you, you're going to be visiting, visited by a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness one of these days. And a lot of times we don't really answer the door. Or, but these groups need the gospel. And they need somebody to, to witness to them, to share with them. Because they don't hear the gospel in their own churches. Not the real one. So it has to be somebody like myself or yourself that, to open the door and share, share with them. Uh, and that's kind of the work that I do among Mormons and, and, and Jehovah Witnesses and other groups. Uh, here lately, uh, right before COVID, we started doing a, 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 what I call a CD project. Is that I, I recorded a CD uh, on a on the gospel for Mormons in a way a Mormon can understand. Just a little five-minute CD. And I started, I, I made a whole bunch of CDs, recorded a whole bunch of CDs, and I went to uh, the Mormon General Conference. Never have been to a Mormon General Conference before. 
And uh, I recorded like 5,000 CDs, and I thought, man, surely this is going to be a lot of CDs. It took me months to record a whole bunch of CDs. And I get to the Mormon General Conference, and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. There's like thousands and thousands of Mormons. Uh, you know, there were, there's, there's, one, there's one session, there's three sessions a day in their conference, and 20,000 in each conference. And there's five days of conference. So I thought, oh man, what did, you know, should have brought more CDs. Well, I started handing out CDs, and like it was in like two o'clock the first day that ran out of CDs completely. And I thought, okay, what do I do now? So I thought, well, I'm just gonna hang out for the rest of the days and share with Mormons and talk to them. Well, I had put my phone number on the CD for more information. Well, I kept getting phone calls. The next day, uh, they would tell me, hey, we heard the CD, we listened to it, and we, are you still here at the conference? We have some questions for you. So I basically that first week, uh, and then I, I stayed an additional week, I met with 50 families who had got a CD who wanted some more information. Out of those 50 people that I met, basically about 12 of them, uh, and then, and then I, 12 of them gave their life to Christ. Went back home and then came back like two weeks later and and, and work with these families and place them in different churches and things like that. And then the next time I did the same thing, the next year I did the same thing, and those families were there with me handing out CDs. And so we've been doing that ever, ever, ever since. And, and we, were, we were back in the uh, uh, early April, we were there for the general conference. And we didn't take that many CDs because we didn't have a lot of the funds to do it. But October, we, we will be there in October. And there's going to be 20 families that had gotten saved before through the CD project. They're going to be there with me handing out CDs. So this is going to be a big event that we're going to do. And uh, I, I had told uh, Pastor Jeff, you know, uh, the, the way that I would... Uh, the way that the church could help is uh, in the form of a love offering because I will use whatever it is to purchase CDs, to take these CDs in October to the Mormon General Conference because I'm going to need a lot of CDs because I'm going to have a lot of help. 20 families will be there with me handing out CDs. And these CDs are, they're kind of almost uh, uh, pretty cheap to make. There, I have a friend of mine in Mexico City who makes them for me. And he makes them for, for me for 67 cents a piece. So pretty cheap. It was costing me about $2.50 to make each one. But he does it for 67 cents a piece. Uh, so they're, they're, they're pretty cheap. And uh, he makes them look really good. He puts the artwork, shrink wraps them, and put them, uh, I mean, they look really well. And uh, so if you'd like to help, please let me know. Uh, I will be uh, going there in October. And... Uh, and I brought, I did bring some CDs, as, as Pastor Jeff said, and those are not for Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, they're for Christians, just to, uh, tonight I'll be sharing about Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses, but those will go into a lot more detail, because tonight I won't have a lot of time to talk about every point, and those CDs there will, will, will be able to uh, help you with uh, reaching out to Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. Yeah. You know, these, these groups are, are huge groups. And most of the time, they're, they're usually at every community or, or close to an, a, a community that doesn't have, and they will go to these different communities all over, and uh, they very effective in what they do. But uh, 
and that's kind of the work that I do as a, as a U.S. missionary, is reach, reach out to Mormons, to Jehovah Witnesses, and, and try to share with them. Uh, you know, after the service, if you have any questions on, on the CDs or, or any questions, uh, let me know tonight. If you come back tonight, we will be talking about Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, and I'll, I will love to answer any questions you might have on, on these groups or other groups uh, at... Uh, you know, tonight, but I've been, I've been, uh, when Pastor uh, Jeff asked me to come, and I've been, I've been kind of praying, and, 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 uh, and thinking what, uh, what to speak tonight, this morning, uh, you know, what, uh, what will be a, a message that will be effective, that I believe that uh, would, would be something that God would give me, and I've been praying, and, and uh, I was, reading this verse, and it just kind of jumped at me, and, and so I, if you have your Bible, I'd like to share, uh, it, it, it's in the book of John, uh, the gospel of John, I'm sorry, the gospel of John chapter 15, it's John chapter 15, verses 18 through verse 21. And here Jesus himself is speaking and he says, if the world hates you, uh, keep in mind that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they, they do not know the one who sent me. So here, basically, Jesus is talking to his disciples and warning them that they will be hated, that, that they will be despised because of their message that they will be given. And this is kind of a that in, in other words, they will be persecuted because of truth, because of the, the message of the gospel. And Jesus is, is, is telling them to, to, to be aware that, you know, to keep this in mind, he said, that, but that they hated me first, he said, and that they, and all these uh, things he was talking about. To me, this, this is a, a primary mark of the church, the true church that the church has always been hated and despised by the world. That's always been the case. If you go from, even from Jesus Christ and then his apostles, I mean, most of them got martyred. And then you go into the early church, or early church, early church history, the fathers, all these different, uh, they were all basically hated by, by the world. And it's been that way ever since, except today. Except today, the, the, the world no longer hates the church. Because I think the church has become a friend to the world. And we, we, we say, well, we want to win the world. So we'll be part of the world to win the world. But it's not working that way. I think it's the other way around. That, that, the, that the world is... And, and then look at the way our world is today. You know, it's just... It's, it, 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 it has been influenced by the world, instead of the church influencing the world. So you, you see this today, and uh, you know, I've been reading some of the different fathers of the church and some of the, some of the different reformers in, in, in the Reformation, 
And I read about Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, who were prelates of the Church of England, and when they were bound back to back on the same stake, and the fire starting to come up, and you know, Nicholas Ridley says, says, be of good com comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle, but God's grace, as I trust, shall never be put out. You know, Hugh Latimer said, be of good comfort, you know, Master Ridley, and play the man. Today we will light such a candle, by God's grace, as I trust, shall never be put out. But I wonder if the candle is almost out in the church today. Maybe it's barely flickering. You know, Oswald Chambers said, in your zeal to get people to accept the gospel, be careful you don't manufacture the gospel to make it acceptable to the people. Amen. And I think this is what we've done. And we see results of this. Unfortunately, many people within the church, some churches, you know, they... They, they have a very f different view of the gospel, a different view of what is faith. And these, these reformers, they, they fought for, 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 for the gospel message. And, you know, they, during the Reformation, there were certain truths that they fought for. Certain truth they died for it, and they, they call them solas, only, only, faith alone, faith only, scripture alone, sola scriptura, and all these different things they fought for these different doctrines that I think today we should fight for true doctrine, right, for, for the truth of the gospel. And unfortunately, many faith teachers today have publicly vilified doctrine as spiritually unproductive or even dangerous. Kenneth Copeland said, don't give me doctrine. Doctrine divides. It, it's, it's a waste of time, he said. You know, amazing. He said, don't give me doctrine. Doctrine divides us. It divides. It is a waste of time, he said. We are saved because of sound doctrine. We, we, we need sound doctrine in the church today. And, and, and he says it's unproductive. You know, it, it's, it's a, you know, in fact, many Christians reject the study of theology and, and think doctrine, doctrinal considerations is a secondary in importance to church unity. But is this really true? Does, does it really matter what we believe? Does it really matter what we believe? If it doesn't, then why not accept the Mormon doctrine? Right? Why not accept Jehovah Witness doctrine? After all, it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I think it, it does matter what we believe. How many believe that? It, it does matter what we believe. And, and it, you know, it, it's, it's amazing that when we reject sound doctrine... We're, we're, left, we're left in a cloud. And wherever the wind blows, that's where we're going. And that's, that's the issue with that. But these reformers, they, they fought for two or three, several other things, but I want to just share maybe two or three things that they fought for. Number one is sola scriptura, or only the scriptures. How many believe that? That we believe only the Bible. All major cults deny the sufficiency of the scriptures. 
Some might say, we believe the Bible to be infallible. But we do not believe the Bible to be sufficient. We believe that it is infallible but, and it is also sufficient for Christians. For all I need for faith, for morals, for practice, it is in the scriptures. It is in the Bible. And that's what, that's what we believe as, 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 as these reformers believe the same thing. The church, their, 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 the church that they were denying, they said, no, you, you, it's not just scripture alone. It's scripture plus tradition, plus the church magisterium, plus the, pope, the, plus the pope bull, papal bulls and all these different things uh, that, that they believe. But they said, no, it's only the scriptures. That, that, that we, we believe, only the scriptures. And when, when, you, when, you ha when you do not believe this, then there's different teachings. And it's what I believe it is true. It's what I feel is right. And then people say, well, I heard from God, and he told me this, and it's contrary to the word of God. So that's when you have different, di different views. For example, Kenneth Hagin, he, he said, the Lord himself taught me about prosperity. I got it directly from heaven. Uh, he, says, he said that the Lord spoke to me and said, don't pray for money anymore. You have authority to claim all the money you want. Yeah, is that true? That, that we could claim all the money we want? It's just, just not true. But he said that the Lord himself taught me that, that he directly, it directly came from heaven. It should, it should directly come from Scripture. It is a scripture that, that tells us what to believe. You know, the, the Bible says that the, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, that as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. The, the Bereans, not, uh, not Paul said, or the, uh, Luke said that the Bereans were of more noble character than Thessalonians because they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. Now that speaks volumes right here. They were testing Paul if what Paul said was true. They didn't just say, well, Paul's an apostle, so I should believe anything he says. No, they tested Paul. He said they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They had the Old Testament at that time. They had the, the even in, 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 in Greek, they had the, the, the uh, Septuagint, the Old Testament in Greek. They had all these different scriptures, and they were testing to see if what Paul said was true. You don't find Paul saying, hey, wait a minute, don't you dare test me. I'm an apostle. No, he commended them because they were more noble, because they searched the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. Now that is the model for the Christian today. That is the example. How do we know what somebody's saying is true or false? Or how do we know? There's a lot of people saying a lot of things out there. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of preachers saying a lot of things. There's a lot of voices. How do we know what is truth? This is the test right here. Examine the scriptures to see whether these things are so. First Thessalonians 5.21, Paul said to test all things, to hold for what is good. So I believe that as a Christian, we, we don't go by a magisterium. We don't go by a, a priest. We don't go by a rabbi. We don't go by a church hierarchy. 
we go by scriptures, and we'll, we'll talk about this tonight, how Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, they, they deny this sola scriptura f- very forcefully. They deny that the scriptures alone are all we need for faith, moral, and practice. They, they, they will deny this with a passion. They will deny this. They even change certain scriptures in the Bible to make it, to deny this, this, this these things. So that's, that's the first uh, uh, battle cry that these reformers, that they cried for, they, they, they fought for is scripture alone. If we believe in scripture alone, we won't, you know, if a Mormon will believe in scripture alone, they won't come out with all these doctrines that they have. If a Jehovah Witness will believe in Scripture alone, they wouldn't believe all these different weird doctrines that they believe. That has to be taught to an outside source. It has to be taught to them outside of Scripture. This is why if we believe in Scripture alone, we, we are like what Luther said, this is, the Scriptures are the cradle in which Christ was laid. And that is what we believe, that we are saved, we, we, we have the Scriptures alone. One of the, another sola, uh, uh, another uh, doctrine that they fought with for is sola fide, or faith alone in Jesus Christ. How many believe that we're saved by faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ? This is, this is what these reformers fought for. This is, was a big one during the Reformation. It was a huge one that, that we are saved by faith alone that no church is required, that no other uh, uh, work or performance or uh, anything that we do uh, will save us. But it is through Christ alone that, that produces this justification. I think it was Luther who said that this justification by faith alone is the main hinge in which salvation turns. It is the chief article in which all other doctrines flow. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, defends the church of God. And without this doctrine, he said, we cannot stand an hour. If we deny this doctrine, we fall prey to the kingdom of the cults. Because these cults will deny this doctrine. They will deny this with a passion that they are, they are not saved by faith alone. And, and they write books about this and they try to change the scriptures about these that we, are, that we, we have something to do with salvation. It, 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 it's Jesus, but it's also us. We cooperate. They call this a, a congruent merit that we, we, we cooperate with the Savior and that produces salvation. That's not the case. We, we cooperate nothing with him. He has done it all for us. He died for us on the cross. And this is what, 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 what this faith in Christ or faith in, 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 in salvation. And some of these groups, like this Word of Faith group that, that I've been kind of thinking about, this is what they say. Um, I, I was uh, reading a thing on, on uh, what, what, what they believe that, that faith, to them, it's, it's a power. They believe it, it, it is a power, but that comes from within them. That they, they produce this power does not reside in faith, it resides in God. Who sovereignly blesses a believer's faith according to his purpose. The Bible says that whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth. But you are God who is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. Psalms 135, 6. You know, the basic problem of the faith movement... It's not that its adherents lack faith, 
but that their faith is often misplaced or inaccurately applied. For example, they stress having faith in their faith more than trusting in God. Our trust is in God alone. The, the, and, and these, there's, you know, why do we say that we are, faith by, we are saved by faith alone? Because we supply nothing. Luther said, we supply nothing but the sinner to be saved. That's it. We supply nothing but the sinner to be saved. Luther was correct when he said, I dread my own heart more than the Pope and all his cardinals put together. For within me is a greater Pope, self, myself. You know, in the Bible says we trust in God alone. He said this, he said, A wretched, poor, helpless, warm, I in thy, on thy kind arms I fall. It, this is what produces salvation, uh, justification. It is, a, it is a faith in Christ alone. We are fully justified before God, but it is a foreign righteousness. It, it, it comes from above. It doesn't come from ourselves. And a lot of the faith movement, they say that, that it comes from within you. It, it, you already have it. So you just have to, you just have to confess it. You just have to, to it's like, an, it's like you, you are a God in embryo, they say. You just have to come out. No, this comes from outside to us. Salvation comes from God to us. It, it, there's nothing good in us. You know, so, so this is uh, one of the other ones. Is, so, so sola scriptura, sola fide, faith alone, scripture alone. And I, I, I just want to make, uh, mention this in passion. In passing, they say they believe also the cross alone. How many believe in the cross alone? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they call it sola cruce, or the cross of the, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, after that we have become saved, after that we're saved, then Christ demands certain things from us, doesn't he? You know, he expects certain things from us. We are to be a disciple. We are to follow him. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up the cross and follow me. This doesn't go well. This verse right here doesn't go well with a lot of faith teachers. Because you have to deny yourself. You have to take up the cross and, and, and follow me. And to deny oneself means to finally, for all, to dethrone self, to enthrone God. The Christian life is a sacrificial life. You know, if, 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 uh, if sometimes it could mean the opposition of loved ones, right? Sometimes it could be the reproach of the world. Forsaking family, house, lands, and the comforts of this life. What about a complete dependence upon God? Obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit, a proclamation of an unpopular message, organized attacks from savvy religious leaders, suffering for righteousness, shame, slander and shame, pouring out one's life for others, death to self and to the world. True Christianity centers upon cross. It centers upon the cross of Christ. It's almost like today's Christianity, we want Christ to do all the dying. You know, we want him to do all the dying. You know, A.W. Tozer said, we must do something about the cross. One of two things we can do, flee it or die upon it. I like that. Two things we can do, we could flee it or we could die upon it. 
He said in his book, The Root of Righteousness, the cross where Jesus died became also the cross where his apostles died. The loss, the rejection, the shame belong to both to Christ and to all who in very truth are his. The cross that saves them also slays them. And anything short of this is, is a pseudo-faith that is not true faith at all. So it is a, a faith in Christ. It is scripture alone. It is faith alone. It is scripture alone. You know, these false teachings that they say that you're worth, you, you are, you have worth, and that you shouldn't deny yourself. You know, Jesus didn't die for us because we were worth it. He died for us because we were worthless. This is why he came, he came to die for us. And here, Kenneth Hagin Jr. says, the, our problem is that we have been doing a lot of praying and a lot of confessing. But we haven't been doing a lot of commanding. Imagine that. He said it's a problem that we've been doing a lot of praying and a lot of confessing. I don't see that as a problem, do you? Isn't that what the Bible says we should do? Pray and that we should confess? Never does it say that we are to command. To command God, to command wealth to command all these different things and and that is that is that is the issue with with some of these faith teachers and different groups that they just have a different view i was reading about john huss john huss was a he was actually before the reformation 1415, uh, he died, and he was burned to death. But a week before, in his prison cell, they basically, one of the guards that was outside his prison cell heard him pray and wrote down this, this he was impacted on his prayer. And it was a simple prayer, but he was going to be burned at the stake a day or two after that, and this is his prayer. He said, Lord, give me a fearless heart, a right faith, a firm hope, a perfect love, that for thy sake I may lay down with my life with patience and joy. Imagine that. Does that fit this word of faith teacher's philosophy and scripture reading and their lifestyle and what they believe. Give me a fearless heart, a right faith. How many believe that we should have a right faith? That we should have a, a firm hope? How many believe have a firm hope? A perfect love that I can lay down my life with patience and with joy. You know, he didn't say, God, send some angels. I, I command you to send some angels down and, and open the gates, right? No. He said, give me a fearless heart. Give me a right faith, a firm hope, a perfect love that I can lay down my life with patience and joy. Why is it that we rarely see Christians of this caliber anymore? You know, I was involved with Jehovah's Witnesses 
most of my life. You would see people of this caliber within the Jehovah Witnesses. I see Mormons of this caliber. You know, when, when I became a Jehovah Witness, I was a Jehovah Witness because I was, I was maybe 10, 11, somewhere that years old. I was, I remember the person who lived, uh, he lived about three houses down our, our, when we lived in Corpus Christi, Texas, and he was a Jehovah Witness, this man. And I remember him because he was a very, very, very nice man. Extremely nice man, very, very, very uh, loving man, and he didn't have any kids, and uh, he always wanted to have kids. He didn't have any kids, but he would he would do Bible studies for kids, Jehovah Witness Bible studies for kids. Jehovah Witness have a book on Bible stories and things like that. So he would he would do that. So he came over to my to my house and asked my dad, "Can he come to to our house? We have five or six kids, and we and I like to share with them the Bible and things like that." And my dad didn't know any better, so oh yeah, he could go. So I started going to, to his Bible study. Well, later on, I, as the years went by, uh, uh, his name was Val, Valerian. And Val had, he always wanted to have kids, him and his wife, but they could never have any kids. Uh, it, I went to high school, and I was already been Jehovah Witness. And after high school, went to college, and then went to work at the Jehovah Witness headquarters. And I heard that, that Valerian, that Val, was able to have a kid, him and his wife, a little girl. They had a little girl. And I remember everybody would say, man, he is so excited, you know, that he loves that little girl. And when he goes door-to-door witnessing, she's with him. And everywhere he goes, she's with him. And Well, one day, uh, Val and his wife and the little girl were traveling. And uh, they were going to, uh, because he was what they call an overseer. He was in charge of several kingdom halls, several Jehovah's Witness churches. And they were traveling, and they were in a really bad car accident. And they were all hurt, but the daughter was badly hurt her leg just came off of her body and she was just really it was just a bad situation and they were life flighted to a hospital and the doctors told him she needs a blood transfusion she lost too much blood well I don't know if you know this but Jehovah Witnesses have a strong a strong one of the strongest positions they have within the the watchtower and they believe that if you give a blood transfusion you will be excommunicated. This fellowship never. This is something that you cannot get rehab, or you cannot get rehab to be able to come back and to the church. This you you are gone forever. You're never to come back. No exceptions. So, one of my other friends who was a Jehovah's Witness was there with him at the hospital, and he, they said he was pacing back and forth. What do I do? What do I do? And. Make a long story short, he denied her a blood transfusion, and she died an hour later. But, but thinking back, you know what a thinking about Valerian, you know what a what a dedicated man he was. He was a committed man to for for what he thought was right. He thought this is what God had wanted him to do. And I, I remember going to visit Valerian after that. And, I, and, you know, Val was kind of a, he was kind of like a Pastor Jeff about your height. And basically about your build. And when I, when I got home from headquarters, I went to go see him. And several months had gone by. When I went to go see him, he was maybe 110 pounds skin and bone, 
he wouldn't eat, he was depressed. And the Jehovah Witness Disciplinary, Disciplinary Committee went to his home and told him, we're going to excommunicate you either way because you're depressed and no Jehovah Witness should be depressed. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What, a, what a committed man he was. You know, I, I, I think about Val and I think, man, he let his daughter die for a different gospel, a different faith, a different Jesus, an, a, a, another Jesus, a different gospel. But what about us? What about me? What about you? We have the true gospel. Are we as dedicated as Val was for a lie that we, as we are for the truth? You know, he let his daughter die for a different faith, a different gospel. Yet the Christians, we have the true faith. We have the true gospel. We have the true spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, empowering our lives to witness. We have the true gospel. Yet are we as dedicated as he was? You know, I think about all these different religions, all these Mormons and all these different, even world religions like all your, your Hindus and Buddhists and all the different Krishnas and all the different Saiba, all the different, all these different groups, they will die before they deny their faith. And that challenges me to, 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 to look at my life, my dedication. Am I doing this as much for God? that I did when I was a Jehovah Witness, that I thought was doing for God? Am I as committed for the truth? You know, and, and I think this is what God, doesn't God want dedication, commitment? You know, I don't think God is ever going to say, you know, Pastor Jeff, you're just too committed. You just did too much for me. No, he's never going to say that. He, Jeff will never hear that. I think we can do more for God. What do you think? I think we could do more for him. Maybe you do a lot, but I think you do more. Our example is the author, finisher of our faith. Our example is Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross. And he, he didn't die a, a, a half death, right? He, he gave it all. He gave it all for us. And I think we should give it all for him. I don't think that, I think that's what he expects. I, I don't think he expects, yeah, you're a Christian, you, maybe you can do 50%, 70%. No, he wants it all. He talks about it in the, in the book of Revelation because you're not, you're warm, you're lukewarm, you're not cold, you're hot. You, you know, he talks about these different things, you know. And we, God wants 100% from me, 100% from you. And, and, and I hope that, that you can be challenged this morning uh, because these groups, they, they, they show dedication. And we'll talk about this tonight. These, they show dedication. They have this commitment. They, but they, they all have a different scripture, a different view of God. That's not the true God. Yet they're committed with a passion to that true God. And I think we could have a commitment for the true God. For the true spirit of God imparting our lives and witness, you know, I, I thank God that he took me out of this mud that I was with the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
Thank God that you guys weren't born in a cult, that God had mercy upon you. Thank God that he has you here at church, that you're not involved in a cult. Well, we thank God for that. And we can thank him because through our dedication, our commitment to the one who died for us on the cross. He told, you know, Paul said in Ephesians, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What an, what an amazing act of mercy. What a tremendous act of mercy that he came to earth, that we had this great incarnation, that God became man. You know, we, you know, we have this great king of scripture that was, on, that was in heaven, that has a throne, that came to earth, that took off his crown, took off his robe, who, that came to earth. You know, you don't, you don't find human kings doing that. You look at our human history. You don't find a king that he took off his crown. They might send others to help, but they don't themselves don't help. But you have this great king of scripture who came to earth, born in a manger. Imagine that. Being born in a manger. The Lord of light came to earth and was born in a manger. Unknown for 30 years. There he was working in Joseph Carpenter's shop. Then he goes to the cross, knowing full well what they were going to do to him, withholds his hand and dies for me and for you. What type of God is that? We must have a God who loves us very much, who came to earth and died for us. And, and, and as of right now, he's kept us. He's preserved us. He's preserved his word for us. What is, what is amazing? You know, this is amazing. God's love. Would you stand with me for a moment? Maybe you could just close your eyes there where you are for a moment. And just, or you don't have to close your eyes, but just think about your level of commitment. Not to church, but I'm talking the commitment to the one who bought you. The one who saved you. The one who gave his life for you. Where is our commitment to him? Is it halfway there? Is it 50%? Is it even 90%? Wherever it was, commit yourself to do more for him. This is what he wants. This is what he demands. No man having his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, help us. Let your Holy Spirit move us in a form that we could do more for you. Put people before us that we could share our faith, that we could just commit ourselves to, to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Church, I'd like to thank you for having me here. Pastor Jeff for inviting me here. And I appreciate, uh, you, you know, everything you guys do for missions. And uh, first time in North Dakota, it's beautiful. Coming, driving over here, it's just amazing. I, I, I appreciate you guys. And 
Like I said, if you have, there's some CDs, get get one. Any donation, I'll be using it to go to Utah, to go to uh, Salt Lake in in in, uh, in October. So thank you very much. Well, we do have a potluck today. Uh, we're going to dismiss in a word of prayer this morning, if you will. Father God, we just thank you for uh, our brother Santiago and the word he brought this morning, Lord, for giving us the gospel to remind us of why we serve the God we serve, that, that we believe the truth and your grace that, that brings us into that truth, Father God. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for his faithfulness to the word and, and, and boldness to preach it to us this morning, where it would have been easy to take a safer message. Lord, we thank you for, for Santiago's faithfulness. And Lord, we just pray this morning that uh, you bless his ministry, you bless what he does with with those who are lost. And so, Father, I pray you equip him and give him patience and joy in his ministry. And, Lord, I pray that his time in North Dakota, Lord, he said it's beautiful here. Wow, okay, Lord, we, we praise you for his optimism, and we thank you for that as well. Lord, we just pray that you, you bless this time as we fellowship downstairs and when we go our separate ways. Father God, I just pray your hand be upon your church. Lord, I pray we continue our worship of you today. In Jesus' name, amen.